Good morning, everybody. My name is Chance Fazell. I'm the associate pastor here. Just grateful to be here, really thankful to, uh, to be able to get to do this. So I just want to welcome Dr. David's welcome, and, or echo Dr. David's welcome in, uh, in Wes's as well. Uh, and so if you got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn that to Exodus chapter 31. And uh, we'll read the, the whole chapter. It's just 18 verses, so... Uh, I don't think it's going to be as long as a typical sermon, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Whenever you get there, you can go ahead and stand up as as we read God's Word together. This is Exodus 31, 1 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, and have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with its, all its utensils, and the altar of incense." the altar of burnt offering, offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense of the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout our generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the truth that is in it, that you speak to us, that you show us what you want, that you reveal yourself through it. So, Father, I ask that your spirit in this time, in this room, would guide your teaching. I pray that the words that I speak would not be my own, but that they would be inspired by you, that you would teach us everything that you have us to, to know in this time through this scripture. So we devote it to you, Father, and we want to worship you 
for what you've done, for what you've given us. So protect us and be with us, Father, as we study your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, when a new president is elected, uh, one of the first things he does is uh, form his cabinet. So he's going he's gonna to pick a group of people who are going to advise him on their own expertise. So he spends time, he, he finds the right people, uh, and he picks them to be a part of his cabinet. And that cabinet's role is, is this. I've, I've gotten it from, the, from online. It says that the cabinet's role is to advise the president on any subject that he may require relating to the duties of each member's respective office. So some of the members of this cabinet would be the secretaries of agriculture, uh, secretary of commerce, defense, education, energy. Uh, and, and the president is going to place these people who are highly skilled, uh, who have a lot of knowledge and education in this certain field, and he's going to use them. He's going to rely on them to tell him the things that he needs uh, when those issues come up. So this morning, as, as we walk through this chapter in Exodus 31, what we're going to be seeing uh, is, is as if God is, is choosing his cabinet. But the caveat here is that uh, the people that he's picking really don't have a whole lot of expertise already. They're just there. Uh, so God is going to call two individuals to organize and to implement the construction of the tabernacle. Uh, so the first point that we're going to see this morning is verse, from verses 1 through 11 is this, is that God fills with his spirit those that he sets apart for his work. God fills with his spirit those that he sets apart for his work. So as we have read in these first 11 verses, God chooses two men. First, he chooses Bezalel, who is the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Then a few verses later, it says that um, he, he chooses another guy uh, and he, whose name is Aholiab, son of Ahissamach. And he is of the tribe of Dan. So God chooses these two guys, and he fills them with his spirit to build the tabernacle. And to build and to make all the things that are going to go on in the tabernacle. And what we see here is that these are just normal people. These are lay people. These are not priests. Notice the tribe that they came from. The tribe of Judah the tribe of Dan. They are not of the tribe of Levi. So what we're seeing here is that God does have a specific purpose and use for his priesthood, uh, but that does not exclude the rest of his nation from being important and being a part of the work. Right? So he chooses this, these two men, one from the tribe of Judah, one from the tribe of Dan, and, and he's using them, these regular people, these lay people are being used to build God's dwelling place. So he chooses them, and then he, he does something else. He, he puts his spirit in them. He fills them with the spirit of God. And it's wonderful the way that verse 3 in chapter 1 describes the way in which the spirit is going to manifest itself in them. And he says this. He, uh, he fills, uh, the spirit of God is filled uh, in them with, with ability, intelligence, knowledge, and all craftsmanship. And these they seem to just be very normal types of skills, right? But what we're seeing is that 
these skills are being used to describe the very presence of God. The same characteristics we see here are the same characteristics that we would see when God himself creates everything. So as we, as we look back to Genesis 1, this, the first verse of the Bible, a lot of us have memorized it. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. The next verse tells us this. Verse 2 says this, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So just here, in these first two verses of the Bible, when we, we see God creating everything, we see God, and we also see the Spirit. The Spirit is hovering over the face of the waters, over the, the face of the deep. So we see the Spirit of God present and active in creation. So we understand that. It gives light to the verses that we'll read here. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19 and 20 says this, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. So these same words that we see here in, in chapter 31 of Exodus to describe the ability given to these men by the Spirit are the same words that are used to describe how God created everything. God is gifting these men with the very creative properties that he possesses. It's the same characteristics that we see in creation that he's bestowing on Bezalel and Aholiab. Only God, only God can, can give the ability to these men, the ability to build the place for God to dwell. I'm going to say that again, maybe a little bit more clear this time. Only God can give the ability to build the place for him to dwell. So they've got all the resources they need. They've got all the earthly materials that they're going to need to build this. But then God has to give them his ability to actually make it happen. We have the earthly possessions, the earthly materials, but God gives them the heavenly ability to build his heavenly dwelling place. And now, in us, through Jesus' death and resurrection, the dwelling place of God is his church. And Ephesians 2 says this in verse 19 through 21, says this, So now, or so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We are the holy temple in the Lord. So God equips those that he calls. He doesn't necessarily only call the equipped. And we see a distinction there, right? God call, equips the called. He equips those that he chooses to go about the business that he wants. He doesn't necessarily only call those who are equipped. He gives us everything that we need to participate in his building project, which is the church. He's given us everything that we need to be a part of building his church and his earthly ministry. Gospel work, gospel ministry, 
is not only designated to the quote-unquote professionals, the ones that, that are in the office Monday through Thursday, Friday, whatever it may be. The priests have their roles. Their priest role is important, but so is Bezalel and Aholiab's role in employing the people to build their tabernacle. And, you know, I experienced this um, when, I, when we lived in, in North Louisiana, and I, li- I worked for a construction company for a few years. And I wrestled with if I was being obedient to the Lord. If, uh, if my work in the marketplace at this construction company was as um, important as it would have been if, if I was on staff at a church. But it was during that time that, that the Lord really taught me um, what good work can look like and how it can be used to, to build the kingdom. I, we worked with a lot of families who, who maybe had storm damage on their houses, and we were uh, going to put their house back together. Well, they were displaced from their home in an in a incredibly difficult situation. Uh, and so I actually got to see actual restoration happen. And I got to have conversation with customers in their home where there's a tree in the middle of it, and, and just to, to hear them and to be with them, just to be the presence of the Lord on site. Uh, I, I also got to spend an enormous amount of time with a specific group of people. Uh, so for three years, I got, to, I got to walk through my coworkers' lives, whether they were going through hardship or whether we were celebrating good things. I was able to be with them consistently and to speak truth into to their lives, to, to offer encouragement and to do all these things. And, and that is no better than what I'm able to do right now. And praise God that I'm here. We love being here. But the work that we're given, uh, it is no different. It is no more valuable if you do it on a stage or if you do it Monday through Friday behind a desk. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And what I notice there when I read these verses is there's two sections of it, right? There's the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And then there's the saints. But notice what the job of the saints is, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So it's, it's good for us to be here, but the work of the ministry is done by all of us. And both parts of those verses are equally as important. This is an all-hands-on-deck effort. We have to see that our whole life is gospel work, not just what we do on Sundays, uh, but what we get to do Monday through Saturday, Monday through Monday. There, there is purpose There is purpose to all of our work. We're bringing order into a chaotic world, just as I was trying to bring some order into the the lives of these homes that had been disrupted by a natural disaster. We all have the opportunity to bring order into a chaotic world, just like God did in creation. Our gospel work is not only designated and delegated to professionals. Another thing we see in, the, in those first few verses there is that only God can create in us a place for His Spirit to dwell. Only God 
can create in us a place for his spirit to dwell. In the same way that God gives the people the ability to build the tabernacle so that he can dwell with his people, only God can do the work needed in our hearts so that he can dwell in us. So may we see people, may we see our coworkers, may we see our family as potential dwelling places of God. With our whole life as, as gospel work mentality, we can see the lost people around us as potential places for the Spirit of God to dwell. Not just hassles, not just as a potential argument that may happen, but as a place that the Lord wants to dwell. May we see each other as that. May we see the lost people that we work with and live with as that as well. God gives the Israelites the ability to build the tabernacle. But the building of that tabernacle and the efforts going in, they should not get in the way of how the Israelites are supposed to worship. And we see this heavily in the, in the last half of this, this chapter, verses 12 through 18. This is our second point is that God commands his people to rest in the midst of the work at hand. God commands his people to rest in the midst of the work at hand. So these first 11 verses, the Lord is telling Moses, hey, this is who I want to build this tabernacle, and this is the ability in which they're going to do it. And the second half of this chapter is is the Lord telling Moses, hey, tell the people that the building of the tabernacle should not get in the way of observing the Sabbath. The building of the tabernacle should not get in the way of observing the Sabbath. So maybe a lot of us have have been a part of weddings. Uh, Some of you guys have have even planned weddings. Uh, And if you're like me, you you just kind of went to the wedding. You didn't really have a whole lot of say into what was going to happen. But, you know, planning a wedding is, is is a... a laborious task. There's so many details that go into planning a wedding. You got to get flowers. You have to get the right music. You have to plan the service. You have to get somebody who's going who's to officiate the service. You, you have to get somebody who's going to help you uh, prepare all this stuff, all the food. You're going to need people to help you decorate. You're going to need people to help you get the decorations out afterwards. Uh, all these things have to happen in order for a wedding and a reception to take place. Now, what usually happens, though, is that all these plans, all these tasks, they get in the way of what the real meaning of the service is supposed to be. It's good to plan. It's good to have all these things done. Uh, But it's not good when the meaning of the ceremony is lost because of the planning that's done in order to make it happen. And we do that. We forget that the reason for the event is to be united together as man and wife and devote ourselves to sacrificial love towards one another. Uh, but we do that. We do this all throughout our life. Well, we forget the real reason that we do things because of the day-to-day tasks that get in the way. The same thing, this is what God is, is reminding Israel. He's saying, do not forget about what he's done while you build this tabernacle. Don't forget about what I've done. And so, he tells them to obey the Sabbath. In fact, the language in verse 13, it says, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. 
So what God is saying is, hey, remember all these directions that I've given you from chapter 25 all the way through chapter 30. I've told you everything I need in order to build this tabernacle. And it's, it's, it's been a long list. And all these things are good and necessary, but above all, do not forget the Sabbath. Do not forget the Sabbath. Because it is through the keeping of the Sabbath, this day of rest, this designated day of stopping and ceasing that they will know that it is the Lord that sanctifies them. It is the Sabbath and the observance of the Sabbath that allows them to know and to remember that it is the Lord that sanctifies them. And even the work of the tabernacle, even the work of building this place where God himself is going to dwell is not good enough. It is not so important that they should not stop to rest. They must not treat the Sabbath as an ordinary day. God calls the people to treat the Sabbath as holy. And if anyone is not to treat it as holy, to profane it, as the scripture says, or to make it common, to treat it like any other day of the week, they will be put to death. This is an important, an important task that God is giving his people. Stop, remember, and worship. For this Sabbath is a sign of the covenant that he has given his people. Now, the sign of the covenant, that should be pretty familiar language to us. We've seen it a few times already uh, before Exodus in the book of Genesis. If you look at Genesis 9, 12, and 13, this is after the flood. This is what God says. This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. God promises Noah, I will not destroy the earth through the flood again. I will not destroy the earth in a flood again. And, to, and for you to remember that covenant, I'm going to create this sign. I'm going to put this rainbow in the sky so when every time you see it, you remember the promise. And we had a babysitter who was so faithful to teach that to our girls, who every time they saw a rainbow, they would say, it's God's promise. It's God's promise. And that's exactly what it is. It's a sign of that covenant that God made with his people to not, to not destroy the earth through the flood again. We see that sign of the covenant language again in Genesis 17, verses 10 and 11, when he's talking with Abraham. Remember the covenant that God gives to Abraham to bless him, to bless his name, to give him a land, to make him a great nation. And this is what 10 and 11 of Genesis 17 says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Again, this act is a sign of a covenant that God makes with Abraham, the promise to bless him and to make him a great nation. Remember the promise. God gives us ways to remember his promise. And this is the same thing that he's doing with the Sabbath. We see a Sabbath as a sign of his covenant with Israel, the law that he's given Israel on the Mount Sinai. And he says this, remember, do this, 
Be a part of the Sabbath rest, and when you do it, you remember the covenant that I've given you. So what is it about Sabbath adherence that helps them to know this? Well, it is a model for what God has done in creation. We see that very explicitly in, in, in the way that it's written. Even, even God reminds him of this. It's a sign forever between me and you. This is verse 17 of 31 in Exodus. In the six days of the Lord, in, the, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and he was refreshed. It is an example of what God does in creation. So he, he asks his people to be a part, a small part of this creative work. So when they rest on the seventh day, they're reminded it's not in their own ability that they build this. It's in the wonderful mercy and the provision and the generosity that God is giving them everything they need to do it, to build God's dwelling place. And it's through this dwelling place, the presence of God, that's going to actually sanctify them, to set them apart, because the presence of God exists with them, not any other nation. So it is through the Sabbath that they will be sanctified as they follow the pattern that God has set out in creation. And after this, Moses, well, he, he gets the two stone tablets written in the finger of God, signifying that God is the source of this law and also the completion of this law. It's, it's full. It's complete It's got everything he needs, and he gives it to Moses to to go down uh, to recite it to the people. So the Sabbath, how do we apply that today? Do we simply just set aside time on Sunday to go to a service and call it a day? I don't think that that is what this text is calling us to do. I don't think that the application for us is just to go to church on Sunday and feel like that we're observing what God has commanded. Sabbath is calling people to remember God. Remember the covenant. Remember his mercy, his grace, and his love, and trust him because of it. So they stop for a whole day. They, they rest. They cease working for a whole day. And when they do this, they tell God, I don't need to tend to my crops. I don't need to check on the cattle. Everything I need for today, God has given me. Everything I need, I have simply because God has given it. And this is the heart behind uh, the manna that God gives his people chapters earlier. Remember, God gives them heavenly bread. And they're supposed to, every day, they're going to wake up, they're going to gather what they need, only what they need. And on the sixth day, how many days, how many How much are they supposed to gather? A double portion. God gives them a double portion so that on the seventh day when they're called to rest, they have enough. God gives us everything we need. So the question for us is, do we believe that today? Do we believe that God has given us everything that we need to sustain us, to keep us going? Or do in the way that we work and our actions, or do we say otherwise? Do we pick up extra shifts at work just to, to make sure that we've got enough hours so that we'll have enough income? Maybe your work-home-life balance is good, uh, but 
Uh, you don't take it home with you. But when you're at work, every moment is spent trying to validate your position. That you don't trust and just let the Lord work in your own life. Maybe it's when you get home and, and instead of, of resting at home, uh, the first thing you do is get on your phone and scroll or, uh, or go to the fridge to, to grab a certain cold beverage. Do we look to Jesus for provision or, or do we put our trust in lesser created things? For God has given us everything we need to operate in this life. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Our work without the Lord in front of us in our mind is worthless. We must trust the Lord in the way that we work trusting in his provision, trusting in his grace and mercy. Well, the best application may be that now our final Sabbath rest is not reside in our own ability, but it rests in Jesus and his work on the cross. I want to read uh, a passage in, in Hebrews chapter 4. It's these first um, 10 or so verses. This is um, this is really good stuff. It says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear this voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his Even Joshua, who brings his people into the promised land, who offers them rest into the land, there still speaks of a day to come. David speaks of it. And the, it, there is final rest that we look forward to, that we can experience today only because of what Jesus has done. Today we can experience rest from our works only because of Jesus' obedience to death, even death on a cross, what Philippians 2 says. No longer uh, do we hope that our efforts and our ability are good enough for God. It's Jesus' work on the cross, and it's been accepted by God as an atonement for our sin, our brokenness. So we look forward to one day a new creation, 
a new Sabbath where Jesus returns and he makes all things new. We look forward to final Sabbath in the new heaven and a new earth. When everything's new, there's no pain, no tears, only joy. It's only offered because of what Jesus has done on the cross. If you've never experienced this final rest, this rest from work and satisfying God with our own actions, we want to invite you into that rest today. The creator of the universe and his love, his mercy, he loves us so much that he sent his only son to live a sinless life because we were unable to. Jesus calls us to repentance and trust in him and to enjoy his everlasting life. So we urge you today, if that's you, come talk to us, talk to the Lord, experience that final Sabbath rest that's offered only by Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we're thankful that your word, even, even these verses in an Old Testament written to a completely different type of person, still are good for us to hear. So as we reflect on you calling us to be a part of your ministry, we recognize that we're all a part of this gospel work. And I know that you're calling us to rest in it, to rest in your final work that's done through Jesus. So would you be with us as we walk into this world, as we live this life in a broken world, would you help us see our work as a part of your mission, as a part of kingdom work as we build the church? Would you remind us that your spirit dwelling in us is a sign of your covenant, your new covenant. Would you be with this guy? We ask all this in Jesus' name.